Last week, we got some great advice from the life of Samson on how to ruin our lives. Man, he taught us some great lessons. When we reject God's way and follow our wants and our desires and our passions, it makes even the strongest people weak. And when we choose the momentary over the future, that's the perfect way to ruin our lives. Samson broke the vows that he made to God to fulfill his own wants. And when we last left Samson, he was eating honey out of the carcass of a dead lion, right? Super gross. That is not a delicacy. That is just nasty. Samson saw a woman in the land of the Philistines, and he wanted his parents to arrange a marriage for him. She was pretty. He didn't care that she served other gods. So his parents did what he wanted. And this is a great reminder on Father's Day. Parents, don't let your kids parent you. You're the parent. Be the parent. Set the agenda and stick with it. Judges 14.10. His father went down to the woman and, and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. So here's what's going on. They throw, his parents throw an engagement party for Samson in her hometown, this uh, Timnah, this Philistine city. And scholars uh, say that we can safely assume that Samson broke another one of his Nazarite vows here in this city of drinking wine at this pagan feast. Either way, he's partying with these people that God sent him to save Israel from. The Philistines were oppressing God's people. He's supposed to be fighting them. But instead, Samson tries to show off and he gives them a riddle. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. And they didn't have any idea what the answer to this riddle was. And this prize was a big deal. 30 changes of clothes might not seem like a crazy expensive to us today, but these people most likely had one change of clothes to their name. They didn't even have two, let alone 30. So this prize was huge. And the Philistines are furious, right? They don't know the answer. And they go to Samson's fiance and they threaten her and the life of her family to get him uh, get her to tell them the answer, right? Well, she immediately finds out the answer. She goes to uh, Samson and manipulates him. She says, if you really loved me, you would tell me the answer. She cried for seven days, and finally, he told her the answer. Well, she immediately went and told the Philistines. It's pretty lame, right? You're supposed to be a fiancé here, and you immediately stab him in the back. Verse 18, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, they give the answer. They say, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs> this is a great time to remind you that these accounts in the Bible are descriptive, not prescriptive. 
That means it tells us what happened, not what to do. Don't ever say what Samson just said. That is a bad idea. But you're getting a pretty good picture of the life of Samson, the type of guy that he is. He's see a pretty girl, go get her for me, mom and dad. See some honey in a carcass. I don't care if it's gross. I'm going to eat it. I'm hungry. Get up in front of a wedding party and, hey, everyone, I got a riddle for you. You're never going to get it, and I'm going to make you rich if you figure it out. He's not a humble man. And so Samson lost. He's furious. He leaves the town of Timnah before the wedding feast is over, heads to another Philistine town uh, about 30 miles away, Ashkelon, far enough away that the people of Timnah wouldn't hear what he's about to do. And he uses his incredible strength to kill 30 men to get those 30 changes of silver, or excuse me, 30 changes of clothes, uh, most likely soldiers here. And he takes their clothes and gives them to the men of Timnah. Verse 19, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoils and gave the garments to those that, uh, who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Here's a perfect example of how God gives us a free will, right? And even when we're motivated by selfish means, by anger, pride, and revenge, that God can still accomplish his will. Samson was born to save Israel from the Philistines, and somehow God is still accomplishing that task, even with the guy like Samson. But Samson went home, and he was humiliated, and he was defeated and betrayed by his wife-to-be, and he was embarrassed. Now, eventually, Samson goes back to Timnah with a young goat to give his former fiance. He wants to patch things up, right? So he brings a young goat. If I were to bring home a goat to Tori, a baby goat, she would forgive me of absolutely anything, right? So this is his plan. But when he gets there, he finds out that his best man married his former fiance instead. This is huge drama, right? This is, uh, you know, just crazy stuff going on. So he decides he's going to take this revenge. And he catches 300 foxes. He takes his time with this revenge. It's not immediate. He goes and catches 300 foxes. And he puts them in pairs, and he ties their tails together with a torch in the middle. This is actually a picture of it. This is exactly what it looked like. Now, this is a little bit of a description of what something like that would look like, right? He takes these foxes' tails together, ties them together, puts a torch in the middle, and he sets them free in the fields of Timnah. He destroys all their grain from this harvest. And obviously, the Philistines were not okay with this. So they went to Samson's wife-to-be, who had just betrayed Samson, turned her back on Samson, and helped them out. And they burned her with fire and her father to get back at Samson. It's brutal stuff. Remember, when you read these stories in the book of Judges, the overall uh, arching theme is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is not saying this type of behavior is okay. It's actually saying this type of behavior is what happens when we are our worst Verse 7, chapter 15. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now see, look, God may have been using Samson, but Samson was not doing any of this for God. 
There was a right way to do this. He was supposed to save his people uh, from the Philistines. He was the leader. He was the rescuer, a Nazarite, the best of the best, set apart to be used by God. But he went about it all wrong. He fraternized with the enemy. Samson took a wife that he shouldn't have taken. He tried to show off in front of a wedding party and it bit him. He lost his wife and then he found himself tying foxes together to in revenge. That's weird. If you ever find yourself planning elaborate ways to get revenge on people, you're probably not making the right choice. His pride was hurt. He was angry and vengeful because he was embarrassed. Now God used it, but the ends didn't justify the means. This is a way of life that leads Samson to being captured by the Philistines and blinded and paraded around while they mocked Samson and his God. But it didn't have to be this way. He was blowing it. Imagine what the people of Israel thought about this uh, Samson, all his actions, this type of example that he was being. We're going to see next what they thought of Samson. Because the Philistines attacked Judah in retaliation for what Samson just did. And the men of Judah are scared to death. So they made a deal with the Philistines. These people that were supposed to, uh, they're being saved from. And Samson was supposed to uh, be helping them. But instead they betrayed Samson to protect themselves. So the men of Judah took 3,000 soldiers to go capture Samson for the Philistines. We see that in verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock in Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is it this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. That's a great, perfect, I think that's the golden rule, right? Isn't that what it is? They did it to me, so I'm going to do it back. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. It's a bit of irony here, right? They capture the one that's supposed to save them from the Philistines and hand him over to the Philistines. And next week, we're going to see that he gets out of this situation again. God has grace for him. God has mercy for him for whatever reason. It doesn't really make sense to people like us. But how many lives does Samson have, right? Eventually, his luck is going to run out. He's not taking his hand off of Samson. God has not removed his Holy Spirit, but despite the fact that he is selfish, self-centered, driven by lust and anger and revenge. But his sin is going to catch up to him, and soon he would face the consequences of his actions. And yes, God was able to turn what Samson meant for evil into something good, but God does not let sin go unpunished. The ends don't justify the means. Again, the book of Judges repeatedly tells us over and over again, the people were wicked because they did what was right in their own eyes. And Samson was no different. My pastor growing up would always say, it's never right to do wrong to do right. It's never right to do wrong to do right. So not only does lust make strong men weak, being driven by our anger and revenge and pride makes strong men weak. Hey, look. Rage is not a superpower. And some of you have used your anger to control people, to get ahead at work, to parent your kids. And it may get results for a little while, but the consequences are going to come someday. Samson was going about everything the wrong way, and yet he becomes angry at the world. And like Samson, we sometimes are our own worst enemies. 
Chances are, if you deal with anger, the number one person you're most likely angry with is yourself. You can't continually make foolish decisions and blame everybody else for them. There's another way. Samson was driven by his emotions and his lust and his anger and revenge, and he finds himself lighting foxes on fire. Put that graphic back up again. Does this look like a man that was doing things God's way? I know this isn't a real picture, but look at the craziness in his eyes. If you find yourself in this position, you're not doing it the right way. Just think about the foxes. You don't have to hurt them. Samson was driven by his emotions. This is a guy that would road rage and flip off a grandma, right? This is a guy that would ruin his marriage with someone that he met at a bar. This is a guy that would send an angry text without ever thinking about the consequences. This is a guy that would cuss his boss out and get fired from his job. He's driven by his emotions to his own destruction. But there's another way to live. Paul said it this way to the, in the book of uh, Galatians, written to the church in Galatia. Galatians 5, 16. We'll be here for a minute. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They oppose each other, so that you do not do what you want. Paul's telling the Galatians, your flesh and your spirit, they are enemies. They are fighting each other. And he reminds us that we cannot follow our flesh. Instead, we need to follow the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to submit to the Holy Spirit. Your flesh wants to do things that are fun for a minute, but ultimately they're going to hurt you. Your flesh makes you do things that you will regret. Paul elaborates in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, and see if you jive with any of this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. Now, If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. For now, it's no longer I to do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desires to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is like a picture here, right? And what comes to my mind is a diet, right? I have a desire to do something, but I do the absolute opposite, right? I'm on a diet, but I eat two bowls of cereal at midnight, right? The things I say I want to do, I don't follow it out. I don't know about you, but this is the story of my life. I've often caught myself saying to myself, what are you doing? You don't want to do this stuff. This is stupid. Why did you say that? Why are you being this way? I don't do the good things that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And this is the life of being driven by your lust and your flesh and your emotions and your desires. I'm going to tell you, it's a hard life. We see that in the life of Samson. Back in Galatians, in in chapter 5, it describes what a life driven by the uh, flesh looks like. It says the acts of our flesh are obvious. I love that, right? Because there is a one little caveat there. 
They're most of the time obvious to everyone else. And sometimes they're not so obvious to us. Right? The acts of the flesh are obvious. But sometimes in the moment, we get tripped up. And here it describes them. It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, and rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a pretty close description of the life of Samson, of what it looks like when we're driven by the flesh. And I'm surprised it doesn't say revenge by setting foxes on fire in that list. (laughs) Being controlled by our emotions makes strong men weak. But there's another way to live. Galatians 5, in the the very next verse, it goes on and describes what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. It says, but, all these flesh works are obvious, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. None of those things sound like Samson at all. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Tony Evans says this, While the works of the flesh destroy, the works of the Spirit provide life and refreshment. And it benefits others. Think about that. A a, a tree, all these fruits are not enjoyed by the tree itself, but by those around it. And it's the very same way with our life. The fruit is evidence that the tree is thriving with life. And people around the tree are going to get blessed because of it. You don't just sit there and try to produce an apple, right, as a tree. Or you don't try to produce love. You connect yourself to the life source. You have soil and you have water and you have air and sunshine and all these things. And as a Christian, we've got to connect ourselves to the life source. It's not about trying to produce patience. It's about connecting to our heavenly father and walking in the Holy Spirit. And then we will produce these things because we cannot do them in our flesh. The things that we want to do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, those are the things that we do. And the only way around it is to crucify ourselves, crucify our flesh, and instead surrender every moment to the Holy Spirit. And if we'll keep in step with the Spirit, we can stop being driven by the flesh and our passions and our emotions. And this is a life characterized by surrender and obedience and sacrifice. And a life whose motto is, God said, enough said. God said, enough said. God said to do this, that's it. That's all I need. I don't need to uh, run it through culture. I don't need to run it through my logic. If God said to do it, I'm going to stick with it, regardless of whether it's easy or not. I'm not going to go and touch a dead corpse, no matter what it gets me, right? I'm not going to go and break my vow not to drink alcohol, no matter how fun it looks. I'm not going to cut my hair because it's an outward sign of inward commitment to God. This is what Samson should have been saying. I'm not going to break my vows. And for us, that means prayer, real time of prayer, real time of scripture, 
and serving and, and burning our spiritual calories and worshiping and living in community to, with each other, even when it's hard, even when we've got to step out of our comfort zone, putting Christ on the throne of our life rather than self. Samson gives us some amazing tips on how to ruin our life. Just let anger and rage and pride and ego run your life rather than the Holy Spirit. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger resides in the lap of fools. Church, revenge is not your place. God says, leave the judgment up to me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You may get results for a little while, being driven by your flesh, but eventually those things are going to eat you alive. Anger and pride make strong people weak. Instead, walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the life of Samson as an example, for most of it, about what not to do. God, help us when we are people that are quick to get angry, we're quick to judge people, and we're quick to lash out when our pride is hurt, when we feel like our rights or our, uh, you know, a lack of respect is coming our way and we lash out at people. God, help us not to be people that are driven by our anger and our pride and our ego. God, we know that ultimately those things are opposed to what you showed us in your word, to be meek and to be humble, to be bold, but not to protect ourselves, but to proclaim the gospel. God, help us to be people that are like you, because Jesus is the better Samson. Jesus is the better Savior. Help us to be like Jesus and not like Samson. Maybe you're here this morning, as the rest of us pray and search our hearts for any of these things. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not sure that if you died today, that heaven would be your home. You're not sure you have a relationship with God. The Bible says that sin stands in the way between us and God. Sin broke things. All the way back at the beginning, sin breaks relationships. Sin broke our relationship between us and God. God is a perfect and a holy God, and he cannot fellowship with sin. That's a problem. Because sin also deserves punishment. In fact, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That sounds harsh, but it's the truth. It's not comfortable, but it's the truth. What we deserve for our sin is death in a place called hell. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we deserve hell, even though we deserve punishment, even though that relationship is broken, God wasn't okay with that, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and holy life 2,000 years ago so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. He took your place. 
when he died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the sons of God. This is the gospel. Jesus in my place. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. He broke the chains of sin and death. You don't have to work to get this gift. You don't have to, you know, pray a certain prayer. The words aren't important. But the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to understand you're a sinner. You've got to understand that you need a Savior. You've got to believe that Jesus is that Savior. And let go of all that you're holding on to. All the good works or the church membership or baptism or any of those things. Put your full trust in what Jesus did on the cross and his uh, sacrifice alone. Once again, the words aren't important. You could call out to God with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. It's not a magic prayer. It's out a decision in your heart. The Bible calls it repentance, turning from the direction and everything that you're holding on to, letting go of all that and turning to Christ and accepting the gift that Jesus gave us. If that's you, I'd love for you to reach out to me. You made that choice today once and for all. Reach out to me and let me know. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the first time you really understood it. You tell me after church or send me an email. It's the greatest thing we could ever do. And this is the first step of living a life not uh, driven by our passion and our desire and our lust. Dear Jesus, we love you. As we continue to worship God, I pray you be glorified and honored in all we do. God, I pray as we start the rest of this week, God, you would help us to see where we are being driven by our emotions. Help us to be like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.